the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You don't have any way other than your arbitrary, subjective emotions to understand what a sinful act is or a sinful thought is if God has not given you the knowledge of that contained in the Bible. Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Hi, and welcome to this edition of Abounding Grace. We turn our thoughts and our attentions as we begin the new year to 1 Timothy. Today, we begin in chapter 1, verses 7 through 11. It's a look at the sweet compliance of the law and the gospel, how these two actually go hand in hand. They fit together like hand in glove. Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. There's a great deal of battle within the church today about uh, law and gospel. Many say that uh, the law is not pertinent for the church today, that all we need is the gospel of Christ. Well, I hope to be able to answer that today with a sermon called The Sweet Compliance of the Law of the Gospel. And our subject today is the relationship of the law of God in the Bible to the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Bible. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11 in light of the basic points that the Bible makes in the Old and New Testaments about the relationship of the laws of God to the gospel of Christ. Now, if you'll notice the title of today's sermon the sweet compliance of the law and the gospel. And that is an adaption of a paragraph in the Westminster Confession of Faith, which you can find in the back of the hymnals if you want to follow along. It is taken from chapter 19, paragraph 7. And it says, Neither are the forementioned uses of the law contrary to the grace of the gospel, but do sweetly comply with it. The Spirit of Christ subduing and enabling the will of man to do that freely and cheerfully, which the will of God revealed in the law requires to be done. So when we speak of the sweet compliance of law and gospel, we're saying there is an agreement between them. We're not saying that they are at odds with one another. We are saying they fully agree with each other because of the functions of the law of God seen in Scripture. Now, that's the context of our text today. We're going to look at several verses throughout Scripture and look at seven uses of the law of God according to the Word of God. Why did God give us the laws in the Bible? Well, we know for sure there is one reason he didn't give it to us. So that it would be a ladder 
that we could climb up to heaven. So that we could make a bunch of points with God and impress him with how good we are. And God would then have to say, I've got to let this man and this woman into heaven. It would be good to have them on my side. They've obeyed the law well enough. So I'm going to let them in. I don't think so. We know the law of God never had that purpose, not even in the Old Testament. Even though there are a lot of fundamental Christians as well as liberals who believe the God of the Old Testament taught that we are saved by keeping the law of God. It never happened. It's not true. It wasn't true in the Old Testament and it's not true in the New Testament. But there are seven uses of the law of God in Scripture. If you want the best discussion that I know of on this subject, then you need to get Greg Bonson's book entitled, By the Standard. And then look up the chapter entitled, The Uses of the Law of God. It's it's an outstanding chapter, and, and it is really quite readable. So let's look at these seven reasons of why God gave us his law. Number one and foremost, God gave us his law to teach us about himself, to teach us who he is, to reveal to us his holy character and his holy will. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 11, and I'll read verses 44 and 45. Leviticus chapter 11. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. And you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth. For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now when someone tries to get into college, that college wants your transcript from high school. Now what is a school transcript? Well, it says pretty much everything about who you are as far as your education is concerned. It reveals who you are in regards to your education. Well, the law of God in the Bible is the transcript of God's holiness. It's written out in black and white and words and sentences what God is like. And you can pretty much find most of the perfections of God as the underlying foundation of each one of the Ten Commandments. And that actually would be a great study in and of itself. But the law of God in the Bible has as its purpose to reveal to you who God is and what He is like. There's a phrase in the 19th Psalm, that calls God's law his testimonies. That the law of God is God's testimonies. Now, what do they testify to? They testify to who God is. The Ten Commandments and in every other moral law in Scripture, they testify to the holy, impeccable character and will of Almighty God. So, If you reject the law of God, as many do today in the church and outside the church, you are rejecting God. If you are saying, I don't like God's law, then you are saying, I don't like God. Because He 
is the lawgiver. And his law reveals himself. So everyone can read in black and white and see what God is like. Now, there's a second reason why God gave us his law, and that is to be a standard of righteousness for all people. An absolute, infallible standard, distinguishing right and wrong, and distinguishing righteousness and evil for everyone. There is no other infallible standard anywhere. Isn't it interesting to hear anti-Christians and liberals attack pro-lifers as hypocrites and, and people against homosexual marriages as bigots. And then they make all of these absolute statements such as there's no such thing as absolute moral principles. The Bible's not a book of absolute moral principles, but abortion is absolutely a good thing. And absolutely homosexual marriages are good. So you see, they love to make absolute statements, but they don't believe in absolutes. So every time they say something dogmatically, they are, of course, contradicting themselves. I love this next verse. Moses is throwing out a challenge, a challenge, of course, of which we can throw out today. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 7, and it says... For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as is the Lord our God whenever we call on him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous or as just as, those whole, as this whole law which I am setting before you today? So Moses is issuing the world of his day a challenge. You don't like the Ten Commandments? You don't like biblical law? So give me an alternative. Give me a system of law. You can go anywhere in the world to find me a system of law that is as just and as righteous as the law of Jehovah that was given to us on Mount Sinai. And we'll follow that law. Of course, no one produced another law system. And you can offer that challenge today with just as much confidence as Moses did. You can say to your friends who say, I just don't believe the Bible and the Old Testament, and those laws seem so outdated. Well, then you say, show me an improvement. Give me a system of law that is more just and more righteous than the standard of righteousness contained in Holy Scripture. And trust me, beloved, you don't have to sit back and worry. Are they going to come up with one somewhere back in history that I don't know of? No way. You don't need to worry. There is not one. It is not going to be the Code of Hammurabi. It's not going to be the Communist Manifesto. It's not going to be even the Constitution of the United States because there is no other system of law anywhere in all of human history, nor will there ever be that is as just and righteous as this whole law, Moses said. This whole law contained in Holy Scripture can never be surpassed. Why? 
Because it is more than just the laws of Moses. It is more than just the laws given to us by even Apostle Paul. These men wrote down what God told them to write down. So scripture contains the law of God, and it is the only infallible standard of righteousness. The only way that you can infallibly distinguish right from wrong anywhere in the universe. Now that is particularly important when you're raising children or when you're involved in a political situation. When you're raising children and you tell them what to do and they ask you why, which, as you all know, they certainly will, you better have a good answer for them. If you say, well, that's the way we have always done things. Not good enough. Well, I'm your daddy and you just do what I tell you to do. Well, let me ask you. Do you want to create a bunch of rebels? Those are ways to create rebels in your family. When you give your rules for right and wrong, and your children ask you why, you are to say, because it is the law of God. And then I hope that you will show them in the Bible where that law is in God's word. And you tell them, if you break this law, you will be punished. And if I break this law and don't encourage you to obey it, God will punish me. So this infallible standard of righteousness that is absolutely indispensable for raising children is also indispensable for politics. Because it says in the 13th chapter of Romans... That the responsibility of the civil government is to punish evil people and to protect good people. Now let me ask you, how was the civil government going to identify a good person? And how was the same government going to identify an evil person? If it doesn't have the infallible standard of God's law, it is just as likely to call evil good as it is to call good evil. And if it is just as likely to put people in jail as it is to let people, evil people, go free. So a civil government must have a standard to distinguish right from wrong. And there is no just standard except for that contained in Holy Scripture. Then there's a third reason or function of God's law. And that is to give everyone a true knowledge of sin. You and I would not know what sin is if it were not for the law of God. Turn to Romans chapter 3 and let's read verses 19 and 20. Romans chapter 3, 19 and 20. So it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that is, under the governing authority that every mouth may be closed and the whole world may be accountable to God because the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So without the law of God, we will not, we would not know what is immoral, what is sinful, what is perverted. 
it would be left up to our own subjectivity and our own emotions to determine for ourselves what is right and wrong. And we can certainly tell today where that has gotten us. But you would not know what sin is in your thoughts and in your life if God had not clearly identified what sin is. And sin is only what God identifies. If you think something is sinful and God hasn't called it a sin in the Bible, then it is not sinful. If you don't think something is sinful, but God has called it sinful, then it is sinful. You don't have any way other than your arbitrary, subjective emotions to understand what a sinful act is or a sinful thought is if God has not given you the knowledge of that contained in the Bible. You say, yeah, but Gary, I've got a conscience. And it troubles me when I do wrong, and it congratulates me when I do right. Well, it certainly is true. You do have a conscience. But my friends, it is blurred and confused and fractured by sin. Sometimes your conscience doesn't trouble you when you do things that are wrong. And sometimes it hurts you when you do things that are right. It is not a reliable guide. You must never do, as some say, let your conscience be your guide. Even in the Christian who has had his conscience cleansed by the blood of Christ and renewed by the Holy Spirit, it is still no longer at all a reliable guide. The only guide to knowing what sin is, is contained in Holy Scripture. That alone is where you go if you want to find out, is this sinful? I would dare say that most Christians and a lot of leading evangelical Christians now are referring to homosexuality as simply, well, you know, everyone's different. Different strokes for different folks. So let's not condemn homosexuals. You know, it's a, it's a natural inclination from some, and after all, they're not hurting anyone. So why should we care? And you ask them, where did you ever get that in the Bible? And then they try to manipulate Scripture. And many Christians say, well, Jesus didn't condemn homosexuality. Well, he may not have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But since all of Scripture is the revelation of the Word of God, he did in the Old and throughout the New Testament. In fact, he said, no effeminate person or homosexual or drunkard or immoral person shall enter the kingdom of God. You have to be cleansed. You have to be renewed. You have to be forgiven. And homosexuality, according to Jesus, contained in his law, is a gross sexual perversion. And it's not only a heinous sin. My friends, it is a capital crime, which means it's worthy of the death penalty. You say, well, that sounds like it's going a little bit too far. My friends, I didn't write the Bible. Your argument's not with me. I'm simply telling you what Jesus said in his word. 
And whatever Jesus said is sin, no matter what anyone else thinks, it is sin and it must be condemned. That's why you must constantly read scripture and evaluate yourself in its light. Because as Paul says here in Romans 3, right before he says, by the law is the knowledge of sin, he says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under its governing authority. And every mouth may be closed, that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God. So the purpose of the law of God is to shut your mouth and to shut my mouth. How many times do you hear people say, well, this isn't wrong. And someone say, but, 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 and you read God's law and he's saying to you, just shut up. You have no basis on which to argue your point if your point is contrary to the law of God. So another function of God's law is to give everyone knowledge of sin. Now, this is an interesting, another function of God's law that really isn't God's law doing this. It is our sin doing something to the law. The law of God aggravates sin in the unbeliever. Listen to Romans chapter 7, verse 5. For while we were in the flesh, that is, while we were unconverted, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. Now that is one of the reasons why trying to get to God to like you by obeying his law adequately will be a complete failure. Because if you're not a Christian... And if you think the way to get to God is by obeying his law, don't do this and don't do that, the law of God just aggravates your sin as an unbeliever. It just stirs you up. When God says, no, that fallen, depraved nature of ours says, oh, yes, yes, yes. And when God says, do this, your fallen, depraved nature says, no, no, no. That is one of the reasons why the law can't save you. Because if you try to obey without faith in Christ in order to make points with God, it is just going to stir up that cesspool that's within you of sin. When an unbeliever's heart or hears God say, don't do this, everything in him just wants to do it. It's like when your mom tells you don't touch the wet paint. What do you want to do? You want to touch the wet paint, right? Now, that's not because there is any failure on the part of God's law. It is because of the wickedness of the fallen, unregenerate heart. So when all you have is law and you don't have Jesus, and you try to get to heaven by doing right, always telling the truth, you know, and, and paying your debts, and, and of course you don't fornicate and all those things, it's not going to do you much good. In fact, it will put you in a worse position. Then there's another reason for the law of God, and that is the law of God was given to drive the sinner to Christ. Turn to Galatians chapter 3, verse 22. But the scripture has shut everyone under, has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to faith, which was later to be revealed. 
Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. Now, those verses are often used by those who don't appreciate the law of God to say, well, Christians don't have to obey the law of God anymore because there it says in verse 25 that when faith in Christ comes, we're no longer under a tutor and the law is our tutor. So that's the same thing as saying when you believe in Christ, you are no longer under obligation to the law of God, except that's not what it says. It says, first of all, that the law of God's purpose is to close every door to salvation. And that is to teach us that there is absolutely no way out of this dangerous condition we're in except through Christ. And then after shutting up every opportunity and every other way to salvation, the law of God is a tutor that leads us to Christ. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.